This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Like I instantly just started remembering that small influence that she had on my life. That wasn't the person I remembered seeing, and it felt like I wasn't hearing about that person. It was almost like hearing about someone else. Don't underestimate anyone. Like, you really never know what someone is capable of until they're in really crucial moments, like the one that she was in. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. Wow, I almost fumbled that in six seconds. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter. How are you feeling today, Lex? I'm feeling good. Perky. We're feeling, I know. We have a perky day. I got a lot of sleep. Did you? Feeling fresh, not hungover. It's a lot. It's a lot of things to celebrate. Imagine that. I'm feeling good too. You know, it's a good day. We have a good episode for you. I want to jump right into the day because this day is really funny. Tell me everything. Okay. So today is February 15th. And February 15th, there's there's some fun days. It's Annoy Squidward Day, which I really like. Okay. Good little SpongeBob reference. National Gumdrop Day, National Hippo Day, National I Want Butterscotch Day. And it's Singles Awareness Day, like the official Singles Awareness Day. So if you want to go, you know, out, out with your single gals and have a good time. But it's Remember the Main Day. What? Isn't that weird? Is it like... It's not the main Jared's band. Okay, so remember the main. This is what it says on checkiday.com. It says, today we, we remember the main, an American battleship that blew up on today's date in 1898 while anchored in Havana Harbor. Wow. That and Hippo Day are my faves. Yeah. <laughs> Hippo Day and is Gumdrop good. Day. Gumdrop Day, official single awareness day is good. I've been single on Valentine's Day before. I never minded it though. No. I mean, honestly, it's a fun excuse to go to a bar on like a weekday for the most part. I loved being single. I love being in a relationship. It's all good. All has pros and cons, but single did not suck. No. Single's fun. Single's great. whatever you want. You don't have to share the bed <laughs> with somebody snoring and breathing. They're gross. Uh, they're so big and their socks are everywhere. <laughs> Ew. I know Jared, one of Jared's socks is literally like five feet away from me and he hasn't been here for... 
two weeks. What is so, it still doing there? I don't know. I've been too busy to clean it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough of that. We're going to get right into the story. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. Those who subscribe to the bootstraps theory that we can shape our own destiny despite challenges beyond our control often don't take into account the many factors which influence someone taking one path over the other. Having said that, a lot of the time, we can see the writing on the wall for people who end up going down the dark path. We're not at all surprised when we hear about someone acting out with violence, especially if they've had a dysfunctional childhood or if they faced other complex social challenges. But what happens when, in spite of every opportunity you have at your fingertips, as a person living a privileged life, you make a series of bad choices that culminate in an irreversible split-second decision that not only grows beyond our control, but stuns everyone around you. So we're beginning today's case on August 22nd of 2010. Following successful tests on monkeys, U.S. authorities give the go-ahead for human trials to commence to start a drug created to combat the Ebola virus. The fallout was being felt across California for marriage equality after Prop 8, the ballot initiative prohibiting same-sex marriage, passed by voters only two years earlier, was overturned. Also, in the entertainment world, hype was building the week leading up to the 62nd Emmy Awards, where the hit shows Mad Men and Modern Family and actors Brian Cranston and Kira Sedgwick would all go on to be winners. And on the pop music charts, Love the Way You Lie by Eminem featuring Rihanna, which was an epic song. Still, honestly, still slaps. slaps. And Dynamite by Tayo Cruz were peaking in the top spots. And at the box office, the first film in the action thriller franchise, The Expendables, was in its second week as the top grossing film, followed by Eat, Pray, Love. The setting for today's case is Charlotte, North Carolina. Situated in southern North Carolina in Mecklenburg County, the city of around 738,000 people is located about 150 miles west of the state capital of Raleigh. Charlotte is named for King George's third wife and today is still known as the Queen City. It has rich and complex history, particularly surrounding the Civil War. Today, the city is home of the NASCAR Hall of Fame and is a major East Coast financial Center, where the Bank of America and Wells Fargo are based. And our first degree for today's case is named Dee, who was born and raised in Charlotte. Charlotte is a pretty big city. It's not the capital of North Carolina, even though most people say it should be. It's a pretty busy city. It was definitely not as busy as it is now when I was growing up, but there were just still like a lot of things to do there. We would just have a really good time. And I remember having a really great childhood there. When Dee was only two years old, she started taking dance classes. And by middle school, she was enrolled at a dance company, which she attended several times a week. And during Dee's time at the dance company, she met two sisters who she became friends with. Their names were Danielle and Katie. And it made a lot of sense for the girls to carpool together on the days that they had dance practice. So that's what they did. Katie was Dee's age, which put them in the same dance group. And Danielle, she was a little bit older, so that put her in the group the next level up. I started at two, and then I entered competitive dancing at some point. And all three of us went to the same middle school. So we would carpool from school to dance. And that's how I got to know her up until I stopped dancing. 
And while Dee was closer in age to Katie, she really looked up to 16-year-old Danielle. She seemed really cool and mature and was really inclusive of Dee, who came to regard Danielle as a bit of a role model. And both sisters came from a really caring family, and Dee remembers a lot of good times with them in that stage of her life. She was one year older than me, so when I was entering ninth grade, she was in 10th grade, going to 11th grade, and she was always a really fun person to be around. I was a little impressionable when I was younger, so I remember just really looking up to her. She was really nice to me. She influenced a lot of like the music that I had listened to, and I just thought she was really cool. Her parents were really nice as well. A lot of the parents would get together a lot, a lot of sleepovers, and I always remember her mom being really kind and the two of them just really getting along great. The dance moms would get together and, you know, all of us would be playing or having a sleepover or in dance practice, and they would be hanging out and talking, and I always remember her mom being there. She was always like, I feel like more of like a life party. However, eventually Dee started seeing less and less of her cool older friend Danielle because Danielle ultimately quit coming to dance class. Because Dee wasn't carpooling with her anymore, she didn't see much of Danielle, especially since Danielle had already transitioned into high school and Dee was still in middle school. I remember at some point she did stop dancing, so some of that carpool was just me and her sister. So there was more than, I would say, a year of time then that I wasn't really seeing her or like communicating with her, really just knowing what she was up to. We went to Catholic school. So she was at the Catholic middle school, going to the Catholic high school, and I was transferring into public school. So I really never really heard anything about like how she was doing or what was going on. Then one day in mid-2010, while Dee was busy preparing for the transition into high school herself, she ran into a friend from her dance class days who told her something really shocking. Danielle, who was still only in the 10th grade, was rumored to be linked to something unthinkable, a murder. How? How could this be possible? I went to open house for high school, and one of my friends that did dance just came up to me and said, did you hear about what happened with Danielle? And I didn't, and they told me. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Like, I instantly just started remembering that small influence that she had on my life when I did have time to be around her. That wasn't the person I remembered seeing, and it felt like I wasn't hearing about that person. It was almost like hearing about someone else. Dee's head was in a spin. How did this happen? And why? I mean, surely this was just a malicious rumor, but what if it wasn't? What happened? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We got to go back. In the summer of 2010, Dee, our first degree, got news that knocked the wind out of her. Her former friend from dance class, the now 17-year-old Danielle Holmes, was said to have somehow been involved in a violent murder. And this idea was so far-fetched Dee found it impossible to believe. So she did what probably all of us would do. She hit the internet and she did some Googling. I went home and I tried to look on the internet. I tried to see if anyone was talking about it on MySpace or Facebook. And it was like silent. What Dee didn't know at the time was that around 12 p.m. on August 22nd of 2010, a call had come into 911. 
A resident of an apartment complex located on Central Avenue in East Charlotte called to report an incident that she had witnessed in the parking lot of her building. The caller said that she saw a white 1995 Chevy Camaro pull into the parking lot. Then a young white woman got out, walked over to a late model green Honda Accord, which was already parked, and got inside. And then it looked like the woman had gotten into an altercation with the driver of the green Honda. And then the caller saw a young white man get out of the Camaro and run over to the Honda too. Then he also started fighting with the driver. The caller witnessed the male make what looked like stabbing motions with a knife before both young people fled the scene in the Camaro. And according to WCNC News, a witness later said she saw the young woman cover the driver's mouth while the second man stabbed him. When police arrived, they found the Honda with both front doors open and the engine running. A young Hispanic man was laying across the front seats and he was bleeding out. He'd been the victim of a vicious stabbing, sustaining deep stab wounds to his chest and neck and had numerous defensive wounds on his hands. Paramedics were called, but it was too late. The man was pronounced dead at the scene. A wallet found inside the vehicle belonged to the victim, 22-year-old Oscar Alvarado Chavez. And sadly, we don't know nearly enough about Oscar to tell you a lot about him. But we do know that he was originally from El Salvador, having arrived in the U.S. in 2006, leaving his parents and five siblings behind. Five siblings. You know what that means? There were a lot of people back home who loved him. And he didn't have much of a criminal record either. He'd only ever been booked for traffic offenses. But like many people who come from other countries to make a new life in the U.S., he was hopeful for his future and he was trying to figure it out and he was trying to financially support himself any way he could. And while he had no criminal record, he had engaged in illegal activity at some point because he was known to police as someone who occasionally ran drugs for a local dealer who sold black tar heroin, which at the time was widely and cheaply available in the Charlotte area. Witnesses provided a description of the white Camaro leaving the scene, and this included the license plate number of the vehicle as well. And according to the first 48, when the police ran the tag, they found the vehicle belonged to a 22-year-old Adam Richardson. So, who is this guy? It seemed like police possibly had their guy because he also happened to match the physical description provided by the 911 caller who witnessed the crime. Super easy, like cut and dry. But investigators were taken aback when within a matter of hours on that very same day, Adam reached out to them with a story of his own. Right. And Adam agreed to go down to the police station for an interview. And when he got there, he told the detectives that earlier that day, his 18-year-old friend, Jonathan, called him. And Jonathan was calling, asking him to give him a ride to go pick up some drugs. So he says yes. And at 10.30 a.m., Adam picks up Jonathan and Jonathan's girlfriend, who he didn't know. But the pair had been dating for around six months. So on the way there, at around 10.40 a.m., we're talking the middle of the day, by the way. Yeah. Bright, bright, bright middle bright. of the day. Right. It's about as bright as you can get around 1040. I mean, noon is really what sun in the sky, but we're talking morning hours. I kept thinking I was reading this wrong, but no, this was the morning, a morning drug deal situation. It's crazy. So Jonathan, while they're on the way to pick up these drugs, received a call on a cell phone from his dealer and he provided the meetup location. So Adam tells the police that once Jonathan gets that call, he is instructed to pull into the apartment complex parking lot. And that's where they were going to meet the dealer's runner, who was driving. A car, you guessed it, a green Honda. After Adam pulled up next to the Honda, Jonathan's girlfriend got out and then got into the Honda's back seat. Soon afterwards, Jonathan jumped out of the car and ran towards the Honda. 
And to Adam, who remained in the car, it looked like Jonathan and the runner were engaged in this violent struggle before he noticed that the runner was twitching and covered in blood. Adam saw Jonathan's girlfriend with a knife and told police that when the couple got back in his car, Jonathan had drugs that he had stolen from the victim. They basically said that she and her boyfriend had killed someone in the back of a car in a broad daylight parking lot. So after the attack on the driver of the green Honda, Adam drove the couple back to the hotel where they were staying, a place called the Sleep Inn. And as the police, they're listening to this story, on the face of it, this is a pretty compelling account. But how much of it was actually true? Was Adam trying to take the heat off of himself and frame his friend, in air quotes, Jonathan? And had he just made this whole thing up to throw law enforcement off of his scent? And the only way for police to know was to find Jonathan and his girlfriend, Stat. Detectives went to the sleep-in, and that's where they found Jonathan and his girlfriend, 17-year-old Danielle Holmes. So we're going to pause for a second because our first-degree D didn't even know that Danielle had a boyfriend, let alone who the hell Jonathan was or anything about his story at all. I didn't know anything about her personal life, what she was doing, or who she was hanging out with or dating. I have no idea. A search of the couple's room found two knives in the toilet cistern, along with bloody clothing. And upon this discovery, police took Jonathan and Danielle back to the police station to question them. 18-year-old Jonathan Tyler Fitzgerald was said to be well-known to law enforcement. Again, we couldn't find much verifiable information about him in our research, but it appears as a kid, Jonathan lived in the Concord area of the greater Charlotte metropolitan area and attended Central Carabas High School. And at some point during Jonathan's childhood, his dad was said to have passed away. And from the age of 14, he began acting out and hanging out with a pretty bad crowd, which got him a conviction for underage drinking. So his mom was trying to do what she could to have him brought back into line, but he was pretty out of control. After he started using heroin, his mom became estranged from him over his troubling behavior. So by the time of Oscar's murder, Jonathan was battling a full-on heroin addiction. And he told police that he and Danielle had stayed at the hotel the night before, paid for by his mother, because Jonathan was about to return to rehab. So that kind of tells us that things are so bad with his mom that she's like, stay somewhere else. Like, I'll pay yeah. for it, but you can't be here. Like, right. So he's in a bad spot, you know, if your mom's drawing that line with you, right? So after breakfast, he and Danielle walked over to the local mall to walk around before Jonathan called his dealer to arrange picking up some heroin. One last hurrah before rehab, I guess. But according to Jonathan, the dealer never showed. So he said he went back to sleep at the hotel. But the cops didn't really believe his story. But Jonathan denied any involvement and asked for a lawyer. He was placed under arrest in the meantime. And then he asked whether Danielle had been arrested, but the police refused to tell him. Right. And the officers were just about to leave the room when Jonathan told them to wait, stop. He changed his mind. He would start talking after all. Then he repeated his version of events, admitting he was carrying a knife and acknowledged that he and Danielle had in fact met Oscar to buy drugs that morning. But there was a problem. Jonathan and Danielle didn't have any money to buy drugs. So this was their plan. They were going to approach Oscar with a proposition, a trade, if you will. They wanted to trade a cell phone they had for the drugs Oscar had. And under further questioning, Jonathan said that he'd never met Oscar before, and at no stage was there any plan to hurt him. He then confessed to killing Oscar, but stated that the stabbing was accidental and that he simply intended to scare Oscar by pressing the knife into his neck. 
When Oscar fought back during the struggle, the knife slipped and stabbed him. But Jonathan insisted that Danielle had nothing to do with any murder and wasn't even in the car when the stabbing occurred. According to Jonathan, Danielle wasn't involved. In fact, she hadn't laid a hand on Oscar, according to him. Jonathan then confessed to stealing $200 worth of heroin before getting back into the Camaro, before getting dropped back off at their motel. It was at this stage that Jonathan asked the detective some kind of strange questions. So first he asked if North Carolina had the death penalty. And when police replied yes, he asked if he could request it. So mine and Jared's schedules have been absolutely freaking bonkers, but we're finally going to have some downtime at home. And I'm so excited to start. Well, I'm so excited to have Jared start cooking because I can't cook. And we're doing that with Home Chef. I'll be a sous chef. So Home Chef makes your nightly routine so much easier and so much more exciting with a wide selection of delicious meals that arrive at your doorstep in the form of fresh, perfectly pre-proportioned ingredients and an easy to follow recipe card. And they have over 30 unique and flavorful chef curated meal options each week. And Home Chef ensures your taste buds will literally never get bored. And if you're looking to master the art of cooking, you can check out their classic meal kit options, complete with chef-written step-by-step instructions. I'm going to have to follow those exactly because, like I said, I am a bad cook. And if you don't have time to cook, you can have hot, delicious meals on the table with a snap with their 15-minute recipes. So for a limited time only, go to homechef.com slash first for 75% off your first box. That is a good deal. Again, go to homechef.com slash first for 75% off. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I think that we all know if you're feeling your best, you feel like you can do great things, you can take over the freaking world. But sometimes life gets you bogged down and makes you feel overwhelmed and it makes you feel like you can't show up and be the best version of yourself. So working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. I know when I'm not feeling my best, talking with somebody makes me feel so much better. Getting out there, maybe exercising, uh, you know, it makes you feel better. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part is you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash first degree today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash first degree, betterhelp.com slash first degree. Eighteen-year-old Jonathan Fitzgerald and his seventeen-year-old girlfriend Danielle Holmes were being questioned over the stabbing murder of twenty-two-year-old Oscar Alvarado. And unlike Jonathan, Danielle had no police record whatsoever. And we're looking at pictures of Danielle right now, and it's kind of obvious. You can see her DMV driver's license photo. And another photo that was early on, her MySpace picture, and then her mugshot. And you can really see, you can see a transformation. And um, yeah. and it's hard to articulate. She's still a beautiful girl. It's She has like a soulless, exhausted, troubling look. You know, it's not even about her physical appearance, but her eyes look so lifeless to me. Yeah, it really is. Number one, her MySpace pic is so epic and quintessential MySpace that I have to just point that out. But yeah, as like from that to her mugshot, like she just looks like two completely different people. It's absolutely sad looking at. So following Jonathan's interview, it was Danielle's turn for the hot seat and the detectives were going to press her. 
Her story ended up deviating from Jonathan's a little bit, starting with the fact that she denied that Adam was even in the car with them at all. And according to Danielle's account, it was just her and Jonathan who had been there. Then under increasing police pressure, Danielle admitted that she and Jonathan planned to rob Oscar, with Danielle being the one to carry it out, using a knife to threaten him into compliance. Right. And Danielle claimed that once she was in Oscar's green Honda, she grabbed Oscar by the hair and pulled his head back and threatened him. And she said she wouldn't hurt him if he cooperated. That is intense. Insane. I'm like, why would she be the one to do this? I'm like, maybe the thinking was he wouldn't fight back on a woman or a girl. I don't know. God, it's so intense. I I don't know. So Danielle's threatening him. And she said, if you give me the drugs, I'll just leave. Then, according to her story, she said Oscar started attacking her. And that's when Jonathan yanked the car door open and joined in this scuffle that was unfolding. Then Danielle said she must have accidentally stabbed Oscar in the neck, given she was struggling while she was holding this knife. And according to Danielle, Jonathan then also stabbed Oscar. And the tearful and desperate teen broke down. When detectives asked why she didn't call 911, given that Danielle's claim was that this whole thing was an accident... She blubbered that she didn't call because she was scared, insisting that things were not meant to end the way that they did. Some people say that they both stabbed the person. One of the people that I spoke to about it said that he stabbed the guy and then handed her the knife and she stabbed him like they both did it. But it was also wild because it was in the back of a car in broad daylight in a parking lot, which was also just like crazy. Adam was ultimately released. Remember, he's the one who reached out to the police himself. And they were satisfied that he was a cooperating witness and that he had no involvement. And he did the right thing after all, right? He came to them before they could even question him about this. But 17-year-old Danielle and 18-year-old Jonathan, they were charged with murder and robbery with a dangerous weapon. Danielle, at 17 years old, was held on $800,000 bond. Meanwhile, Word of what Danielle was being accused of started to spread, and everyone who knew her was bewildered. Danielle had just graduated 10th grade, the year before she was attending dance classes, and she was on a positive trajectory. So naturally, for people who knew her, the reality of this situation was a seismic shock. I feel like a lot of us were really shocked, so maybe that's why this case stands out in my head. I've been a true crime person for my whole life, and I've really never saw any indication that she would do something like this. And I'd never met anyone who would say anything negative about her or that they saw something in her that had the potential to do this. I feel like a lot of us were really, really just shocked and didn't see it coming. With Dee's curiosity piqued, she took it upon herself to find out more about how Danielle could have gotten to the point where she did something so awful. After all, she wasn't really in touch with Katie anymore to find out what happened and to find out how Danielle had gotten involved in all of this. Through reading online reports, Dee discovered that by the summer of 2010, Danielle had developed a pretty heavy dependency on drugs. And this too was another shock to Dee. Danielle had come from a loving family. She was really engaged with her friends and her hobbies, and she always just seemed to have it together from the outside. However... Danielle's addiction had gotten so bad that she'd escalated to the point of stealing syringes that her mom used to self-administer medication to treat her multiple sclerosis. So we don't know much about the dynamics of Danielle's relationship with Jonathan or how they met beyond their relationship starting in early 2010. But 
there are comment sections under all of these articles and Facebook posts. So we looked at those and you can find out a lot about people in the comments. And no, we don't take them as like verified accounts, but enough of them, you can kind of see a picture come together, right? So comments that we saw from various sources suggest that Jonathan was the one who introduced Danielle to heroin. And it's quite possible Danielle found herself in an unhealthy relationship where she was now being manipulated and coerced with drugs and drug use and drug dependency. And perhaps she stayed in this situation because he was the mechanism in her life that funneled drugs to her. That could also not be the case. You know, this is just a rumor, but he was older. It's He's the one with the criminal record. It certainly seems to add up. And Dee was at a loss to understand how Danielle could have gotten enticed into using hard drugs in the first place. And obviously, we're making face value assumptions like Lex said, and we're just on the outside looking in. And it's difficult given the absence of any other solid information about what Danielle's home like was or what she might have personally been struggling with. She was more of like a free spirit, like to have a good time, not really take things seriously. Maybe that's where the drugs came in and just went downhill from there. I never heard like outwardly from anyone's mouth that she was doing drugs. I was reading that in a lot of articles, but I feel like to me, that would only be like the reasonable explanation because I never saw this to be what her future would end like. I feel like drugs had to be or the boyfriend influencing her, maybe both led her to where she ended up. I vividly remember a lot of the articles flattering, like teen looking for heroin, stabs, drug dealer. Even if you look up her name now, like she was an addict, she really needed it. And so she did it. They did it. What Dee didn't fully realize at the time was that heroin was a massive problem in Charlotte. And Danielle was just one of many people in the city that were in the grips of addiction. Obviously, we know that the broad factors leading to teens getting into drug use, it's complex, it's layered. And it goes without saying that any number of factors can lead a team to experiment with hard drugs. Abuse, trauma, boredom, peer pressure, risk-seeking, anything, really. There could be a million reasons why someone gets sucked into something like this. And at this time in Charlotte, the city was seeing a wave of young people coming from affluent areas getting hooked on heroin. These were the kids whose parents were wealthy professionals. The problem had become so big that heroin use in the Charlotte area had tripled within the span of just a few years. So part of the reason for this was there was something on the market, which we mentioned in passing earlier. And I actually didn't know the difference between regular heroin and black tar heroin, but there is a difference. Um, And at the time, black tar heroin was being exported on a massive scale from Mexico. And the thing about this kind of heroin, which makes it extra dangerous, it's cheaper, it's stronger, and it's widely disseminated. A lot of people do drugs, unfortunately, and Charlotte is a big city, so I definitely wasn't surprised when I found out that she was doing drugs, but definitely surprised at the level of crime that she committed. So unlike the traditional refined white powder, which most people think of as heroin, black tar heroin gets its name from its black, sticky appearance and texture. And according to AddictionCenter.com, while it's far cheaper to produce and buy black tar heroin compared to the white powder form, it's just as, if not more, potent. 
And in parts of the U.S. in 2010, you could get your hands on a hit for as little as $10, which that's scary cheap. So getting back to our case, three days before Christmas of December in 2010, Danielle was granted bail. She was subject to electronic monitoring, but she had the freedom to stay at home with her loved ones and familiar surroundings until her court date. Like, that sounds nice. Very. This decision had nothing to do with the goodwill of the holiday season. Instead, Danielle had negotiated a little bit of a plea deal with the prosecutors in return for her agreeing to testify against Jonathan. But Jonathan had his own plans. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. 
IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. By late 2010, word was circulating that the murder of Oscar at the hands of Danielle and her boyfriend Jonathan was soon to be featured on the hit A&E true crime show, The First 48. So in January of 2011, while Jonathan was awaiting trial, his lawyers took the show to court over 20 hours of unaired raw footage. They argued that the video should be turned over because it represented evidence gathered by police as part of the investigation, which would usually be provided during this discovery process. However, the First 48's team wasn't rolling over that easy. They pointed to something called the Shield Law. So this meant that the footage from their shoot for the episode was for documentary purposes and had nothing to do with assisting the police investigation. In North Carolina, Shield Law protects information obtained by journalists unless the material is essential to a defendant's case. And under the terms of the contract between the Charlotte Police Department and the First 48, The police had the right to veto rough edits of the show prior to airing for fact-checking. And besides, Jonathan had already confessed to his role in the crime during his police interview. In the end, the judge ruled that the first 48 was not required to hand over the footage. And with that legal wrangling out of the way, the episode aired in February of 2011. And Dee was stunned to see how prominently Danielle was featured on the popular show. I watched the episode and I just couldn't believe like it was really her in the videos and what they said happened. And I remember feeling like initially when I first heard it, that maybe it was like wrong place, wrong time. Maybe she wasn't involved. But then like hearing the first 48 episode and seeing more research and more things that came out about it, it just made it very clear like this is the person that you remember. It all kind of seeped in, like, no, this is really happening. She really did it. I remember my mom being very surprised as well. So even though she didn't spend a lot of time with Danielle, she did spend time getting to know her mom and her sister as well. When Dee watched the episode, her jaw dropped. There was Danielle being interrogated by law enforcement. The distressed, drug-affected young woman on the screen was a far cry from the cool, confident teen Dee had carpooled with to dance practice only a year ago. I vividly remember the interrogation video. Her, like, crying, talking to the detective, and basically was saying what happened. I'm pretty sure she admitted it. I feel like they broke her down. Now we know that while Danielle was awaiting trial, she was on bail. We told you that. It's what she chose to do while she was on bail that's going to shock all of you. So given the circumstances, you'd think that she'd do everything she could to try to keep her nose as clean as possible as her trial approached for many reasons. Her family, her future. There are a lot of reasons to, to follow the rules and the restrictions that are put on you while you're out on bail. But that's not what happened. That's not what she did. So Danielle had apparently been having people over to her parents' house, and she was still using drugs. And apparently her family lived in this huge house, and her parents had no idea. And while out on bail, Danielle again robbed a drug dealer, this time with a different man in tow. 
And for this crime, she was charged with armed robbery, conspiracy, and possession of marijuana and heroin. And this time, she was held in county jail for $1 million. From my understanding, she was out on bail, and they decided to rob another drug dealer. My mind was blown. Like, it was already a lot to take in, thinking about the first crime, but then for a few months later to find out another crime happened. It was a lot to process. I was like, you kind of can't make this up. And it also just kind of, you know, made me sad. Not only that she was in that situation and having to face those charges, but then getting a chance to be out, at least on bail for a while and deciding to commit another crime was a little disheartening, especially with her being someone that I'd looked up to at some point when I was younger. The fact that Danielle committed another crime while she was literally already out on bail for a very serious crime of murder, it tells us one of a couple of things or all of these things. Her addiction was really that severe where she needed drugs so badly that she couldn't not do this, I guess. Or she thought her life was over, so she said, fuck it, I'm going to double down on this, and who cares how much worse it gets. Or Danielle really doesn't care about anyone or anything but herself. The truth is anyone's guess, but it's really, really heartbreaking to see either way. As the trial date for Oscar's murder loomed closer and closer, there were further developments. By now, DNA testing had revealed that the blood on the clothes found in Danielle and Jonathan's hotel room did belong to Oscar, which is a surprise to no one. So ultimately, the trial would never happen because in September of 2011, Danielle and Jonathan pleaded guilty to secondary murder, armed robbery with a dangerous weapon, and conspiracy to commit robbery with a dangerous weapon. And Danielle's second-degree murder sentence was a minimum of 13 years and one month. And the robbery with a dangerous weapon conviction gave her five years and four months. And the armed robbery conviction was just over two years. And 13 years is really low for taking somebody's life. So Danielle was getting off pretty easy, it seemed. But she was about to get a rude awakening. She got a minimum of 13 years. And then her release date was going to be April 2024. But because of the other charges, she got more time added. Oh, yeah. So in the ultimate game of fuck around and find out, the robbery that Danielle committed while she was out on bail saw her original sentence almost doubled. She went and blew it for herself by getting another 10 years on top of the sentence for her crimes against Oscar. Right. And to add insult to injury, she'd also be serving her sentence consecutively. So in total, Danielle and Jonathan were each sentenced to a minimum of 20 to 27 years in prison. That hurts at 17 years old. And according to anonymous comments on the Cedar Post blog, by the time Danielle was sentenced, she was actually pregnant and eventually gave birth to a son in prison in early 2012. The source states that while Danielle was out on bail for Oscar's murder, she became pregnant by another unknown man and her family is now raising her son while she's incarcerated. We know that the big driving factor in Oscar's murder was drug addiction, an addiction that led Danielle to make one toxic choice after the next not only destroying herself, but others in the process. And now a child is involved too. Danielle had always been spirited and feisty, but Dee for one never saw any red flags or any problematic aspect of her personality that would lead anyone to believe she was capable of harming anyone, let alone stabbing someone. So this really is a testament to the fact that this can happen to anyone. 
I remember her always being like really outgoing, very opinionated. Like if she wanted something, she would go for it. She was just always kind of like a firecracker. You never knew what you would get, but it was always just a lot of energy she would give off. But I never saw anything like sinister or felt like one day I could see her going down the wrong path. Like I never really looked at her or saw anything like that from her. At the time of this recording, Danielle is expected to be released in mid-2033 with Jonathan due to be released a year earlier. And as a former childhood friend, it's really weird for Dee to imagine Danielle's life in prison. Everyone Dee knew from dance class in high school has now, of course, moved on with their lives, celebrating these major milestones while Danielle spends her days behind bars. It's the ultimate example of a complete waste of someone's youth, all for $200 worth of drugs. It breaks my heart because I still am friends, especially like on social media with other people that went to that dance company. And even myself, we're married and having children and having careers. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to think about all the things that she could have been able to do had she not decided to commit these crimes. Dee found it extremely confronting that someone she knew, let alone a former friend, was responsible for the death of a 22-year-old man. But she hopes Danielle is using her time in prison to better herself. So when she is released, she can make something meaningful of her life to contribute to society in some way. And it's strange to think that Danielle's son will be at least 21 years old, a young adult himself, and only a year younger than the man his mother killed by the time she's released. I do think about it a lot. I wish I knew more about the motive behind it and why she really did it. And I do wonder that a lot. I always have felt heartbroken about the whole situation. I really wanted more for her to have more for herself in her life. And I hope that in 10 years, if she does get out and she's able to, I hope that she's able to live a prosperous life as much as she can. And I genuinely hope that this time that she's spending away, that she's really reflecting and remorseful for her actions. The stark experience has reminded Dee of the profound effect drug addiction can have on impairing decision-making. And it's always given her pause in personally considering whether she'd ever experiment with drugs. I definitely took from it, don't do drugs, because you never know what happens when you are on drugs or when you're desperate for it. And I also feel like I learned, like, don't underestimate anyone. Like, you really never know what someone is capable of until they're in really crucial moments like the one that she was in. Despite the fact Danielle took another human being's life, Dee continues to have compassion for her. I feel like I extend that grace to her because I would think if I was in that situation, addicted to drugs, influenced by a partner, and ended up committing a crime, I would hope that after serving my time that at least people that know me or knew me would extend me some type of grace if they were in my inner circle, even though Danielle wasn't in mine. Like, I understand that everyone has the right to feel how they feel, especially like the victim's family. I just try to be and try to extend as much peace and grace and respect to as many people as possible. Part of what makes this case so mind-boggling and unsettling is that the window of time in which Danielle went from being a go-getter with a bright future ahead of her to a convicted murderer was incredibly short. That was a small window. 
A strong feature of the narrative around Oscar's murder in online discussion forums is that his death was no great loss to society given what he was doing, dealing drugs. And we're here to refute that venom. People who sell drugs do not deserve to die. People who do drugs do not deserve to die. And Oscar felt feelings just like everyone else, and he was terrified when he was attacked with a knife by these strangers, just like any of us would be. His mom feels the very same way our moms would feel if we were killed. Oscar was trying to make his way in a world, in a country, that is sometimes unhostile and unwelcoming, and he was killed, and that is not warranted. And it didn't give Danielle or Jonathan or anyone else permission to take his life. If you or someone you know is struggling with substance addiction, you can contact the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's National Helpline on 1-800-662-HELP, which is 4357, for free confidential support 24 hours a day, 365 days per year. Well, huge thank you to Dee for being our first degree for today's episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon. We have brand new content for you every single week and come back in your feet in our feed tomorrow morning for a brand new episode of Killing Time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for the first degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are WBTV.com, the Cedar Post blog, the First 48, WCNC News, WFAE 90.7, the Charlotte Observer, the Mecklenburg County DA's office, WSOC TV, the Independent Tribune, Brooks Pierce Lawyers, the American Bar Association, and AddictionCenter.com. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.